So it's true, I am the newest resident. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and they, they actually had the nerve to uh, give me the title of pastor for hospitality. Um, excuse me, associate pastor for hospitality. Uh, I better know my place. But I've been doing my share of reading and reflecting on the prospect of placemaking. That is how we as residents and we as members of the wider Richmond Hill community make this space what it is, both for one another and for others whose pilgrim roads lead them here. And one of the first rules of placemaking is to understand that one's surroundings, the physical spaces that our bodies inhabit, that these are only part of what makes up a place. We, of course, inhabit an environment, a topography, flora, and fauna. And then there's our material culture, both the items that we make and surround ourselves with and the structures that we build. But there's also a complex matrix of symbol and story, of memory and moment, of history and activity, even psychology, even mood can transform a place. I love the image that winemakers use of the, the terroir. Uh, pardon me if uh, you know French better than, than I do, because I probably butchered that. But the terroir is like the topography that influences the character of the vintage. You know, a vine and its grapes might be influenced, for example, by a nearby eucalyptus grove, soil from a volcanic activity long past, brackish uh, waters nearby, or a, a hill situated just right so that a westerly breeze hits the vineyard just so. And then the weather from, year to, from one year to the next can be the difference between a great year or a poor year, as the bottle may indicate. To use another example, imagine reading 1 Corinthians 15, where the Apostle Paul talks about resurrection. It's one thing when it's Sunday evening prayer and it's here in the chapel and there are only two residents on site. It's quiet and simple. And perhaps it feels more like part of the routine. And that's good and important in its own right. I think you'd agree. But reading 1 Corinthians 15 at a funeral for a loved one. Or during an Easter morning sunrise over the ocean. These places have the potential to completely transform the reading and maybe even, in some ways, the interpretation of these sacred texts. And at the very least, we see in these examples of reading Scripture one's physical location, right? A graveyard, a beach, a moment 
the death of a loved one or a glowing dawn. And then there's the text. The text with its history and significance. The story of death and resurrection. The story of Christ. The story of the Apostle Paul. The story of creation and new creation. And we could go on and on and on. And so in our scripture passage this evening in 2 Kings 22, as well as as in its post-exilic companion, 2 Chronicles 34, we find the story of a young king who sought reforms when he went about his own effort at placemaking. For him, it was the renovation of Solomon's temple, which took place sometime around 622 B.C. And during this renovation, a discovery was made, a story unearthed. And from these scriptures, lost and found, transformation would come to a king, a nation, and all the places that they inhabit. King Josiah came to the throne at a young age, just eight years old, a child king. And according to the chronicler, the young Josiah began his reforms immediately, rooting out idolatry and turning the people back to the God of their ancestors. And in his 18th year, as builders worked on the temple in Jerusalem, a part of the Torah was discovered by the high priest Hilkiah. Scholars believe that this was an early version of the book of Deuteronomy. And as this portion of the law was read to the king, as Pam read earlier, he tore his clothes, perhaps in lament, maybe also in outrage. And when it was read to the people, both they and the king recovenanted to keep the law of God with all their heart and soul. You see, friends, stories transform places. And that's where Pam has given this institution and this community an incredible gift. You know, Pam, the Apostle Paul told the Galatian churches, that which you sow, you will also reap. But I've always heard it as a thinly veiled rebuke, right? You reap what you sow. But I've never really understood why that proverb is so often invoked to describe negative consequences. Especially when for Paul, the the metaphor worked both ways. You sow in the spirit, conversely, and you'll reap in the spirit. You sow good and you will reap good. And so when Richmond Hill is so often thought of as an idea or a mission, or a community, or maybe a building, an address, or a 501c3. Pam, you looked at this expanse, this place, and the remnants of its history, and you asked questions about what kind of place this has been. You freely and generously sowed your curiosity, your passion for justice, and your questions. And up from the soil grew these stories, stories long buried. 
And I pray that your work will continue to bear fruit that will not soon wither. You have changed this place. In unearthing these buried stories, you have given voice to the voiceless. You have given us the means to do greater justice to the inhabitants of this land, this place, so that as custodians of the stories of indigenous and enslaved peoples, we might add them to the great cloud of witnesses who, though being dead, yet speak. You have given us, and all who dwell in this place on the hill, the gift of confession and the mercy of having access to the truth about ourselves, about the land upon which we eat, sleep, minister, and raise our children upon. For only when we know the truth about our past can we truly understand ourselves and understand our place in this moment. And we live in a tragic moment, don't we? When the grace of confession about our racial history is too often rejected. And make no mistake, friends, it is a terrible and tragic thing to reject God's gifts. Knowing the truth about our history, knowing that there must be truth before reconciliation can be possible, it affords us the kind of accountability that can only be delivered by our forebears, by walking where they walked and allowing their stories to dwell within us. And Judy's story and those of others enslaved here with the presence of the dwelling that resides uh, on this property that we dwell in, These have contributed to making Richmond Hill a different place, a place for bearing witness to our past, being present to the needs of our moment, and imagining a fruitful future. The gift of you and the gift of these stories have changed this place. But let's not make the mistake of thinking that stories once unearthed can't be buried again. As some of you remember, Deuteronomy is the place in Torah where the laws of Jubilee are expanded, where the attitude toward the stranger and the immigrant are more welcoming and hospitable. But one wonders what happened when there wasn't a champion to continue the renewal, when King Josiah was no longer there. Or we can speculate as to what might have happened if Josiah never came to the throne or never made his reforms. We could wonder what would have happened if the temple was never renovated or Hilkiah never found the book of the law. But we don't have to. King Josiah died at a relatively young age in battle against Egypt. And we find little evidence that his reforms ever really continued before the eventual fall of Jerusalem. So this is a reminder, a reminder to us of another important feature of placemaking. And that is, place is never permanent. And this is something that we must remember, lest Richmond Hill becomes a place that buries God's gifts. These unearthed stories carry with them a charge 
a charge that we must heed. We are custodians of this place's history, and we cannot afford to depend on a champion when it takes a community to make a place last. We cannot rest on our laurels, Richmond Hill, or our history. We have been given gifts, and when the Lord takes stock of them, let's not be the ones who bury them in the ground. Let's be the servants who made much of what we have been given. And sometimes faithfulness, sometimes renewal, looks a lot like demo work. You bring out the sledgehammer. And things look a mess. This week, Reverend Katie reminded us of a question that was posed to Jesus, a demonic question. Have you, Jesus, come to destroy us? She went on to ask about the ways we find these questions in our own mouths, in our own boardrooms, in our own community. Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? But we know Jesus never offers crucifixion without resurrection. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And so what are we to make of this place, Richmond Hill, now that these stories have been unearthed? Will renovation and renewal, will reform continue? Or will we keep our community and our business partners accountable for the wrongs that have been committed and our responsibilities in the present? Because that's the place that I want to live in. I hope that's the place where you find Jesus. And that's a place that we must covenant together, to make together. And we could not have that possibility without you, Pam. Thanks be to God.